Hello, I'm Amelia Rankert Thomas, the author of Engaged Ownership, a guide for owners of family businesses. Welcome to part four of the Engaged Ownership audiobook. Part four, three challenges, hats, trusts, and outside investors. Introduction to part four. When a founder passes ownership of a business to children and grandchildren, and at least some of the new owners don't work in the business, the issue of ownership decision-making comes to the fore. If the owners see themselves as bystanders, enjoying the benefits of ownership and trusting in those who run the business to make good decisions with their capital, then ownership decision-making will be relatively unimportant. The owners will be invited to a shareholder meeting once a year, but otherwise their formal contact with the business will be minimal. The new owners may be following the widely dispensed advice, you inherited these shares, don't rock the boat. But not all owners are willing to take a passive role. Family business owners have more at stake than money. Their ownership stake may represent a substantial part of their net worth, and it also represents investments of human capital and enterprise capital that have been created over many years. Their relationships with each other and the wider community, the innovative products, services, and systems that have brought value to the business and its customers, the legacy of their shared past, and the opportunities that all the core capital can generate for the owners and the wider family in the future. The paradigm of engaged ownership offers these owners an opportunity to articulate their shared purpose and vision for the future of their ownership, enables them to provide high-level guidance to the board, and gives them a sharper, clearer voice and role in business decision-making. Yet, even those owners who aspire to engaged ownership may find that their individual perspectives and circumstances stand in the way of their finding a common shared purpose and vision for the future of the business. In particular, An individual who manages the business or who plays a prominent role on the board, who serves as trustee of a trust that is an owner, or who is not related to the family but has made a substantial investment in the business, will have a very different perspective from other family owners. Engaged owners will need to recognize and accommodate the challenges and demands that such owners may bring. Owen Family, June 6, 2013 Amanda Owen Cooper. When Dad died and left us his shares, and when the board named Mike president of the company, none of us thought things would change much. After all, Dad owned 75% of the shares and ran the company, so Mike's job wouldn't be much different, right? But in some ways, it's been harder for Mike than it was for Dad. Martha, Christopher, and I are far more active than Dad's Uncle Fred ever was, Fred was part of the management for most of his life, working for Dad, so he had an incentive to do what Dad wanted. There have been times when Mike has accused us of meddling in decisions that belong to management, and sometimes his accusations were true, especially at the beginning. We were always trying to tell him how to run the company at first. It took us a while to realize that owners are responsible for the highest level of strategy and really shouldn't deal with management. Our avenue into the business is through the board. Once the board got used to us and our focus on core capital, we began to work better together. Mike was also worried that our interest in investing in new business opportunities might mean that Owen Products would slowly be starved for capital 
while we invested in projects that seemed more exciting or potentially profitable. However, being part of our discussions about CompuSynth has made him more enthusiastic, and he has been seeing ways in which Owen Products Enterprise Capital might help Christopher, and vice versa. Having an owner's council has been helpful for Mike in multiple ways. Over the past two years, he's learned to look at business questions from different perspectives. Sometimes he even stands in one place to answer as president of the company and then physically moves to another place to answer as an owner. The discussion with the board about the dividend policy was particularly difficult for him because the policy will constrain his choices as president. He has a capital budget, and he's expected to generate sufficient free cash flow to enable payment of dividends. However, the policy has built-in flexibility now, thanks to the board's input, and Mike has realized that the multi-level focus on strategy has improved the company's planning overall. What he and his management team have lost in decision-making freedom, they have gained in support and focused input from the board and owners. Since we're all aiming for the same target, the owner's vision, the planning process is less contentious. There are still hiccups, and we don't always define the same term the same way. But the process is more transparent, and the discussions are more coherent than they used to be. Chapter 16, When an Owner Also Runs the Enterprise When an owner also leads the business, her multiple roles may make it more difficult to reach consensus around shared purpose and vision with other owners, and the risk of conflict among them may increase. The source of the conflict isn't hard to identify. For an owner who also leads the business, running the company is her occupation and often a preoccupation as well. The drive to achieve business success that is the hallmark of many of the most successful family managing owners can overwhelm their thinking as owners. Running the business is their primary focus and it can be difficult for them to step back alongside their fellow owners and think about core capital more broadly. Even for those managing owners who want to be mindful of ownership issues and the vision of their fellow owners, the day-to-day challenges of running a business may crowd out thoughts about ownership and core capital. Founder not only builds a business, he creates a culture and an established pattern of decision-making around business issues. A child who succeeds the founder in running the business can find it difficult to make decisions together with other family members who own shares but don't work in the business because these non-managing owners don't have the same level of information about the business or even a common vocabulary. Furthermore, joint decision-making around ownership issues often simply isn't part of the culture of the business. Particularly if she worked for the founder parent for a time, the owner's successor may well have adopted the parent's systems and ways of doing things along with his values and attitudes about conducting business and his decision-making style. The challenge is, assuming the founder controlled all the shares of the business, he never had to deal with the challenges of group ownership. And so his decision-making system, which the successor child has now taken on, doesn't reflect the habits of mutual education, discussion, consultation, and shared evaluation that are necessary to achieve engaged ownership. For purposes of this chapter, it may be helpful to imagine a successful business owned by three siblings. One sibling, the youngest sister, serves as president. 
The two brothers have substantial professional careers outside the business. All three inherited their ownership, each owns one-third of the shares, upon the death of the founder, their father. The siblings are close and feel a strong bond with the business and have recently opted to form an owner's council to govern the ownership of the business. What are the issues that might create substantive conflict between them? Shared purpose and vision. Discussion around the question, why do we want to be owners of this business together, may be more rancorous when the group includes an owner who runs the business and others who don't, especially when the owner in the business, in this case the president, doesn't own a controlling interest. If the founder exhibited a business-first mentality, the notion that the owner's shared purpose and vision for their core capital should drive business decision-making may be foreign, and a managing owner may have more difficulty adapting to such a change in focus. A managing owner may also feel that she, like the founder before her, should have full control over the business, that the strategic plan for the business should guide business decision-making, and that the shared purpose and vision of non-managing owners therefore is less important or even irrelevant to business decision-making. To bring a managing owner into conversation with non-managing owners, it can help to begin with a group discussion. A retreat, preferably with a facilitator skilled in working with family businesses at a conducive off-site location, offers the chance for the owners to delve into issues and not merely skim over the top of them. They will want to avoid holding the retreat at the business office, where proximity may trigger thoughts of management issues rather than broader questions of shared purpose and vision. All the owners answer the question, why do we want to be owners of this business together, and talk openly about their interest in becoming more engaged as owners. This exercise may help the managing owner recognize that she is not in it alone and that the owner's council offers support, direction, and vision for the future. Talking about core capital together with fellow owners and recognizing the array of core capital both inside and outside the business may also help a managing owner to consider the issues through an ownership lens rather than a management lens. Conversation about how capital might be deployed can be difficult in some families. There is an innate fear that capital that isn't reinvested in the business will be spent on frivolous purchases or otherwise frittered away. The business thus comes to be seen as sort of a virtuous piggy bank. One of the virtues of having a strong owner's council is the opportunity to discuss the potential advantages and disadvantages of redeploying capital into new entrepreneurial ventures or ideas. By looking at the potential opportunities of creating new core capital, especially by investing in the talents and interests of young family members, the conversation around core capital can become more invigorating and enlightening. Allocating decision-making power. Even if she can find consensus with her fellow owners regarding shared purpose and vision, a managing owner may find it more difficult than a non-managing owner to bring an open mind to the process of allocating decision-making power among the board of directors, owner's council, and family assembly. An owner-manager who has had formal business education or experience working for a public company may think about corporate governance in terms of the public company model of management and board-centric decision-making. 
she may find that the exercise of reallocating decision-making power to increase the role of owners off-putting and even possibly threatening because the default decision-making structure set forth in most corporate statutes effectively concentrates decision-making power in the board and management, a reallocation of decision-making rights and powers in favor of the owners becomes a potentially revolutionary exercise. The thought of giving up any decision-making authority may cause a managing owner to become concerned that she won't have the leeway she needs to run the business or that the non-managing owners will meddle in day-to-day decision-making. She may feel that her fellow owners don't trust her abilities and don't grant her the respect that previously was accorded to the parent. Even the concept of creating a forum for ownership work may be very foreign to a managing owner whose day-to-day role focuses on business decision-making and who may wonder, frankly, what all the fuss is about. To help owner-managers practice thinking from the perspective of owners, it can be helpful to undertake a thought experiment. Ask all of the members of the Owners' Council to imagine that, thanks to a distant cousin with no heirs, they've just inherited all the shares of a substantial and successful business in an industry they know little about. The business is run by a non-family CEO. Shares represent the majority of their personal net worth. What would they want to know about the business? What issues would concern them? What controls might they desire? How might they think about their ownership and the opportunities and risks it represents? This thought experiment can help managing owners to reorient around ownership issues and help them to recognize that the desire to reallocate decision-making power doesn't stem from personal criticism or disrespect on the part of non-managing owners, but rather from a desire to invest capital wisely and, when appropriate, to redeploy it more optimally. To continue the thought experiment, ask, what is the difference between owning that business and owning our business? How does the legacy of our ownership and management affect our thinking and our assumptions about our business? Compensation versus Dividends The issue of how the business determines compensation and dividends can divide owners who work in the business from those who don't. Compensation refers to the salary and bonus paid to an employee. Dividend refers to a distribution made by a corporation to its shareholders in proportion to their percentage shareholdings. Conversations between managing and non-managing owners around compensation and dividends can become tense because the subject matter suggests a zero-sum game between employees and owners, with managing owners in the middle being pulled from both sides. Such conversations also raise questions of what is an appropriate return on effort versus on capital. Engaged owners will find that developing separate policies around compensation and dividends may bring clarity to the question of how profits and free cash flow generated by the business will be divided among employees and owners. A compensation policy will focus on the procedures by which salary, and particularly bonuses, for a managing owner and other leaders should be calculated. A distribution policy will focus on the procedures by which the dividend should be calculated and paid to all the owners. Spending time educating all owners about compensation and dividends, and then considering what policies will promote the shared purpose and vision, can help to keep concerns and anxiety at a more manageable level. 
As it reviews existing policies, a newly constituted owner's council may find that the founder used compensation, not dividends, as the primary mechanism to pull money out of the business, and that this policy has clouded the group's thinking around compensation and dividends. The strategy of pulling money out of the business via compensation and bonuses is commonplace and makes good business sense. The Internal Revenue Service permits businesses to deduct reasonable compensation and computing income for income tax purposes, but not dividends. So long as every owner also works for the business in some capacity, it can be more cost-effective for the business to pay compensation than to declare dividends. That is why we often see small businesses where every adult member of the family has a job, at least on paper. Over time, though, the compensation structure of a company that uses compensation as the primary means of distributing cash to owners can become distorted. Pay for an owner who works in the business may come to exceed, sometimes wildly, pay for a non-family employee in a similar position. Such wide pay grade variations can foster a them-versus-us attitude among employees, damaging employee morale. Whereas dividends by definition are paid in fixed proportion to shares owned, excess compensation may become untethered from strict proportionality with employee owners' paychecks coming to represent an amorphous mix of wages for work done, dividend for shares owned, and additional cash for reasons known only to the controlling owner. If the leaders of the business determine that belt tightening is necessary and decide to reinvest free cash flow, it can be more difficult to take away compensation than it is to revise a dividend policy. Owners who have inherited their shares and don't work in the business will want to be mindful that a business founded and led by managing owners may have developed a culture that favors work and rewards effort rather than capital. After all, the core capital of the business likely was born of hard work, ingenuity, and reinvestment, not outside financial capital. In such a culture, non-managing owners may be seen by those who work in the business as parasites who don't add value and who want to pull out cash that rightfully belongs to the business. This attitude is common, particularly in the United States and other countries where inherited wealth is seen as unearned and therefore undeserved. In such a culture, it can be difficult for non-managing owners to feel comfortable presenting a case for dividends, even though the financial logic is clear. The owner's equity capital supports the ongoing operations of the business, and so it should earn a return, just as suppliers of labor, goods, and services receive a return. Redeploying Financial Capital During conversations about shared purpose and vision, engaged owners will want to consider how capital might be redeployed into investments and activities outside the business. Joining into a conversation about pulling capital out of the legacy business may be tremendously difficult for a managing owner whose career has been spent at the business and whose sense of self-worth and achievement is tied to the performance of the business. A managing owner might ask, does this conversation mean that my fellow owners don't trust me to manage the business in our mutual best interests? Do they not believe in the strategic plan? Do they not value the legacy that our father created? Conversation can become anxious and highly personal or even shut down completely. However difficult they may be, conversations about sustaining core capital are important. 
Excellent management is no guarantee of long-term business success. Customers' needs and tastes evolve. Regulations change the economics of an industry. And technological revolutions generate newer and better substitutes. A well-run business will evolve over time by anticipating changes in the market and the environment and adjusting to take advantage of them. Forward-thinking business leaders will see at least some of these changes coming and will build strategic and tactical responses into the business plan. What senior management may not see are the alternative investment opportunities that arise outside the business but within the family's human capital. Does it make more sense to keep investing in the existing business or to redeploy some of our assets into new or different ventures? As the members of the rising generation encounter new ideas in school or on the job, they may see ways to combine them with financial capital to create entirely new businesses and enterprise capital. Should the business hire these fledgling entrepreneurs so that their ideas can be nurtured there? Or are those ideas so different that they warrant an investment in a new enterprise? What options does the owner's council have if a member of the rising generation presents an attractive business plan? The owner's council may decide as a group that investing in the human capital represented by the next generation is part of their shared purpose and a good use of their capital. If they use personal assets to invest or deploy all or part of the existing dividend stream, the new business may be able to be funded without any change in the existing business. But if the capital demands of the new venture are greater than can be funded with personal assets or dividends, the owner's council may seek to redeploy some capital from the legacy business, perhaps through some combination of financing, redemption, or cross-sale. For the owner's council, the conversation around funding a new business venture will be a critical test of the strength of their shared purpose and vision. A managing owner may look askance at her fellow owner's ideas of funding a new opportunity by pulling operating capital from the business, especially if the owner's council previously approved the existing strategic plan, and with good reason. Generally, while there may be cash on the balance sheet, it is spoken for earmarked for operating capital, capital investments, or strategic acquisitions. Pulling cash from the business, whether by limiting capital expansion or acquisition plans, or leveraging the business by borrowing for the purpose of making distributions, will have potentially negative consequences for the long-term performance of the business. The owner's council would be wise to acknowledge and discuss the trade-offs involved in detail with the goal of coming to consensus around a path forward. Owen Family, September 2nd, 2013. Martha Owen Jones. At the Owners' Council meeting today, we spent some time discussing the redemption of the shares held by the trust Uncle Fred created for his son, Alfred. It wasn't a small transaction for the company, and it certainly constrained our cash flow. Amanda thanked us again for doing what was right for Alfred, and for honoring our shared purpose even at the immediate expense of the company. Amanda told us an eye-popping story she had heard at a recent family business conference. The business in question was owned 100% by a single trust, created for the benefit of the founder's three children. The oldest brother served as president of the business, his younger brother ran the accounting department, and their youngest sister suffered from severe alcoholism and had difficulty keeping a job. The trust company of a major bank served as trustee. 
About a decade after the father's death, the company received an unsolicited offer from a competitor. The founder had always put the business first and believed that his children should make their own way in the world. He had instilled the same strong value in the oldest son. The son advised the trust officer not to sell. But the dividends from the business were not sufficient to fund the medical expenses of the younger sister, much less the college educations of the middle brother's children, and the trust officer raised the question of how else the trust would meet its obligations to the beneficiaries. Against the wishes of the older son, the trust company sold the business. This story shocked me a bit because I was sure that the founder had not intended that the trustee would be able to sell the business against the wishes of the son running the business. It also made me recognize that not all owners and families have the same shared purpose and that trusts can create issues because they create formal legal obligations to beneficiaries that would not be owed to ordinary shareholders. Trustees get caught between their duties to the beneficiaries and their interest in seeing the company become successful, as Amanda was before Owen Products redeemed Alfred's trust. I wondered aloud why anyone will put shares of a family business in trust, but Amanda reminded me that trusts can protect shares and may also make estate planning more tax-effective. A knowledgeable lawyer who understands family businesses can help make sure that the trust is drafted to reduce the conflicts that the trustees face, she said. Furthermore, a trust can be designed to give more power to the beneficiaries or less. Basically, a trust can be custom-tailored. She reminded us that our mission includes ownership succession planning. We as owners need to begin working on this. Chapter 17, When an Owner is Also a Trustee When a trust owns shares in a family business, ownership decision-making must accommodate a fiduciary perspective. A trustee of a trust that owns shares has legal fiduciary duties to the beneficiaries that circumscribe her ownership choices. To operate effectively, the structure, membership, goals, and tasks of the owner's council will need to take into account the purpose of the trust and the roles of the trustee and beneficiaries. Increasingly, business owners are transferring shares in trust rather than outright, particularly those who reside in jurisdictions that impose gift, estate, inheritance, or death taxes on non-sale transfers. A trust can offer tax advantages, creditor protection, and professional oversight for a critical family asset. If an owner feels anxious about whether her children and grandchildren will be capable shareholders, she may be more comfortable putting the shares in trust than gifting them outright. It may ease her concerns about the problems that might arise if shares are sprinkled among descendants over several generations and many individuals come to own non-controlling interests. In essence, a trust divides ownership. The trustee is the legal owner of the shares and holds them for the benefit of the beneficiaries of the trust. The trust document spells out the rights and responsibilities of the trustee around administration of the trust, investment of trust property, and distributions to beneficiaries. The trustee's decision-making rights and obligations are also dictated by the governing law of the trust. In particular, trust law imposes fiduciary duties of care and loyalty, and a trustee who breaches a fiduciary duty can be held personally liable. Purpose of the Trust 
a family might create a trust to hold shares for one or more of the following reasons. And so understanding the purpose of the trust will help determine the membership and goals and tasks of the owner's council. Minimizing taxes. An estate planner might recommend a trust as part of an estate and income tax minimization plan. Used in this capacity, the trust is primarily a tax advantage conveyance mechanism. The point is to reduce or eliminate a tax levy upon the grantor's death that might otherwise require the company to be sold or stunt its growth opportunities. The family's intent is that their children, the beneficiaries, will still have the levers of corporate control that they would have had had the shares been given to them outright. Protecting shares from divorce or creditor claims. A lawyer may recommend a trust as an alternative to a prenuptial agreement in order to avoid the risk of shares passing to a child's divorcing spouse in the event of a divorce. Here again, the family's intent is that the beneficiary will still have control, but that share ownership will be protected and kept in the family. Providing a stand-in owner when the beneficiaries are incapable of acting. The family may be concerned that a beneficiary may not be ready to take on the responsibilities of engaged ownership, whether because of youth, illness, financial or legal troubles, or some other circumstance. The trustee becomes the stand-in decision-maker whenever a beneficiary is incapable. Concentrating ownership. The family may want to avoid the problem of share ownership being divided into smaller and smaller fractions as the family grows. By holding the shares in a single trust, or perhaps in separate trusts for each branch of the family, decision-making power will remain concentrated. Concentrating control while equalizing financial ownership. The family may want to concentrate ownership control in the hands of one person, perhaps the next leader of the business, while dividing the economic value of the business interests equally among all of the children. When the trust has been created primarily for tax purposes, and the intent is that the beneficiaries will take an active role in ownership decision-making, the beneficiaries will reasonably expect to be included in the membership of the owner's council along with the trustee. The beneficiaries' voices will be critical to developing the shared purpose and the vision for the future of the business, and the trustee will be expected to vote and act accordingly. When the trustee is not an insider, for example, when the trustee is an advisor or a corporate trust company, there is a risk that he will not understand either the business or the shared purpose and vision of beneficiaries for the future of the business. The grantor of the trust and the owner's council will want to take time to educate the trustee about the business and the family to avoid the risk that the trustee will base decisions on his personal assumptions of what the beneficiaries want or need, rather than the shared purpose and vision. Furthermore, the trustee may want to undertake a shared purpose envisioning exercise with the grantor if he's still living, and with the beneficiaries as well to make sure he understands their positions. Where the purpose of the trust was to provide for a stand-in for a beneficiary who is unable to act, and the trustee will exercise the ownership decision-making power for a lengthy period, the work of the owner's council might instead focus on education. First, education of the trustee about the business core capital, shared purpose, and vision. And then second, education and preparation of beneficiaries 
so that they can come to assume a greater role in decision-making over time. Where the trust was designed to concentrate control or to separate control from the economics of ownership, the Owners' Council will play still a different role. In this instance, the trustee is a business insider and, quite possibly, an owner of shares individually, and so will have a deep understanding of the needs of the business. In many ways, this structure will replicate the control held by the founder. The challenge for the trustee in this case is to balance her business decision-making with trust decision-making, given the constraints of trust law. From a purely legal perspective, beneficiaries of a trust don't have a right to participate in decision-making around the business unless such rights are explicitly included in the trust agreement. And so in that respect, the trustee is free to make decisions. However, from both a practical and a legal perspective, the trustee does not have unfettered ability to act and may face personal liability if her actions breach the duty of care or loyalty. The Owners' Council can help the trustee manage his responsibilities, promote effective communication with the beneficiaries, and avoid personal liability. Obligations of the Trustee The trustee must act in accordance with the terms of the trust and applicable law, all guided by the grantor's intent. Whereas an investor who owns shares of a business is generally free to make ownership decisions as she chooses, a trustee must not act in his own interests, but in the best interests of the beneficiaries of the trust. Best interest is measured not from the standpoint of an investor, but from the perspective of an individual. For instance, if the trust requires distributions for the beneficiaries' health, education, maintenance, and support, the trustee may be obligated to vote to increase dividends or redeem shares to generate enough trust income to ensure that the beneficiaries' needs are met, particularly if there are no other financial resources available, even if that decision would run counter to the strategic plan for the business. A trustee who also runs the business may thus find her roles at odds with each other and may find that serving as trustee significantly constrains her choices as leader of the business. To fulfill her fiduciary obligations, the trustee will need to understand the needs and interests of the beneficiaries so that she can factor that information into ownership decision-making. The Owners' Council can be a useful forum for gathering and disseminating information and for building rapport and mutual understanding between the trustee and the beneficiaries. Beneficiaries Assembly Where ownership of the business includes individuals as well as trusts, or includes separate trusts for different branches of a large family, it may be useful to create one or more beneficiaries' assemblies. A beneficiaries' assembly is tasked with educating the beneficiaries about the trust and providing an ongoing forum for trustee-beneficiary discussion. A trustee becomes privy to substantial amounts of private and confidential information about beneficiaries, for example, about beneficiaries' income level or personal health issues, that will be important for trust decision-making but not relevant for business decision-making. And so, conducting trust-level discussions in a forum separate from the Owners' Council can help to manage information flow on sensitive topics. The trustees of all of the trusts will also sit on the Owners' Council for the purpose of making ownership decisions, but the trust-level information discussed in the separate beneficiaries' assemblies 
will remain private. Core Capital and Trusts When all or part of the shares of a family business are held in trust, there is a real risk that the engaged owner's conception of the core capital won't align with the trustee's conception of the trust property. Core capital provides a broader perspective on what is owned, whereas the engaged owners who have enumerated their core capital will see a unique blend of financial, human, and enterprise capital linking them to their shared past and offering them opportunities to build capital in the future, the trustee will see primarily financial assets. This divide between viewpoints can be bridged in substantial part by educating the trustee about the core capital, shared purpose and vision, and having the trustee participate in the owner's council. However, both the trustee and the other participants in the owner's council will need to recognize that the trustee is bound by legal constraints, the trust document, jurisdictional law, common law, that constrain her ability to act. Engaged owners who intend to transfer shares in trust will want to educate their lawyers about their business and their core capital well before the trust is established and to challenge them to draft the trust in such a way that the trustee has the broadest possible freedom under applicable laws and regulations to act as an engaged owner with and on behalf of the trust beneficiaries. Owen Family, November 30, 2013. Christopher Owen. As part of the business planning for CompuSynth, I've been talking with potential investors. The first thing I learned is that few investors are willing to be silent partners, at least at the outset. Most are quite demanding. Everyone I've spoken with has distinct requests, a board seat, tag-along, drag-along rights, preferred shares that convert to common if the company is acquired. Most of these were requests that Amanda explained to me and told me to expect. Sometimes it is helpful to have a sister who's a corporate lawyer. From my participation in the Owners' Council, I've learned that owners of private businesses may have different expectations about strategy, goals, and how performance will be measured. Without that experience, I would have just asked for money and looked for the deepest pockets. Instead, I started by developing a shared purpose and vision with my team. Now I've begun asking potential investors why they're interested in investing and what they expect to achieve from their investment. Do their interests align with ours? Our focus is on commercializing combustion synthesis to create nanocatalysts for solar panels, but we also expect to create additional research opportunities and enterprise capital that will be useful in other industries. For us, research is an important aspect of the work and might slow down profit generation. My investors need to share that vision. My siblings are interested in investing. I had some very frank conversations with them about what they're hoping to achieve and what kind of involvement they expect. This is a startup, not a legacy family business. I'll own a majority of the voting shares, and our decision-making process will be less participative than Owen Products. This is not because I think what we're doing at Owen Products is wrong. It's because we're creating this business and its enterprise capital from scratch, so to speak. And so we need freedom to take risks, make mistakes, and learn. If they are willing to participate on this basis, I would welcome their investment. Chapter 18, Bringing in Outside Investors Granting shares to a long-term employee, 
starting an incentive stock option plan, creating a qualified stock option plan, known as an ESOP, bringing in an angel investor or a private equity firm, or undertaking an initial public offering, IPO. These decisions can motivate employees, provide investment capital, or generate cash for the owners. All of them will also bring outsiders into the ownership group and thereby change the ownership dynamic. What impact will outside owners have on the family ownership group, and how should an owner's council be structured to accommodate the interests of outside owners? Whereas the family owners have a shared interest in the human capital of the business and the wider family, and an appreciation of the human and enterprise capital that make up their shared legacy, an outside investor is primarily concerned about a financial investment. An outside owner will be motivated to make decisions that enhance that investment and will have less concern for non-financial interests. An outside owner will want information about the business and its financial and strategic plans. He may request, or require as a condition of his investment, a seat on the board. He will measure success by return on equity, not by return on core capital. He may challenge management's and board's thinking on strategy and tactics. He will also want to make sure that there is a ready market for his shares. An ownership interest that can't be sold is worth nothing regardless of how much the company is worth on an enterprise basis. Family owners who are focused on core capital rather than liquidity and return on equity may find it difficult to find common ground with an outside owner. Family owners who are less engaged may find that the demands of outside owners disturb the peaceful balance of power that has existed heretofore. Thus, an outside investor can disrupt ownership decision-making even as he brings useful capital into the family business system. There is discussion at the management, board, or ownership level about bringing in an outside investor. Engaged owners will first want to understand why the proposal is being made. To reward non-family members in lieu of a bonus and to align their interests with those of the business? In such a case, shares may be granted to individual employees or may be held in a stock option plan qualified under ERISA. A plan generally appoints a trustee who will be the legal owner and who will make ownership decisions. ERISA law brings into play many of the same fiduciary duties of care and loyalty as a trust. When considering awarding shares to an employee, it is worth considering what information that employee might reasonably request or demand about the company and its owners particularly for families who prefer to keep personal matters private, granting shares may require disclosing more information about the business, its assets and activities, than the family wishes to share. Phantom stock or a performance-based compensation system may be a useful alternative strategy to preserve privacy while aligning employee behavior with the business. To bring in outside capital to fund capital expansion or acquisitions? Bringing in equity capital to fund expansion can be attractive, especially if the outside investor also brings industry expertise and experience. Equity capital may be less risky than debt financing, especially if the business is already leveraged. But an equity funder rarely will be satisfied being a silent partner. She may require a board seat and demand extensive information on an ongoing basis. 
an equity investor likely will challenge existing policies, especially those that promote core capital of the family owners beyond the business, such as corporate charitable giving, family employment, perks, bonuses, and dividends. Engaged owners will want to have an open discussion with the board about the advantages and disadvantages of bringing in outside capital to fund expansion or acquisitions. How will the investor's ownership be structured? Will it be in the form of common shares or carry a preference of some sort? What will be the dilutive effect on owners' dividends? Will the access to industry expertise be valuable enough to offset the loss of privacy and the focus away from core capital? Would it be better to structure the investment as a joint venture between the business and the investor, thereby providing a degree of separation between the investor and the existing ownership group? The perspective of the owner's council will be different from the perspective of the board of directors on these topics. Because the decision will have a major impact on the composition of the ownership group, it will be important for the board of directors and owner's council to discuss these matters in depth separately and in a joint meeting, well before the plan is fully developed. To provide liquidity for an exiting owner? When an owner seeks to exit, perhaps because she can't find common ground with the other owners or needs to monetize her shares quickly, the descendants may struggle to find a liquidity mechanism that balances the exiting owner's wishes against their individual financial needs and the ongoing financial needs of the business. Whether or not the owner seeking the exit is on good terms with the other owners, her interests diverge significantly from the interests of the owners who will stay on, and it will be important for all of the owners to understand the full range of options and consult with the board before any final deal is struck. In particular, the owner's council will discuss the alternatives of redeeming shares or undertaking a cross-purchase to achieve the exit and determine whether it is feasible to borrow the needed funds rather than bring on a new equity investor. If bringing in a new equity investor is the route ultimately chosen, the owners and board alike will want to be assured that the terms of the purchase are fair to the remaining owners and don't represent an unreasonable dilution of their interests. The owners will also want to learn about the incoming owner and what influence the incoming owner expects to have. If the new owner will oppose any efforts by the descendants to become more engaged around shared purpose, vision, and core capital, and if borrowing is not feasible financially, they may want to consider whether their long-term interests would be better served by selling alongside the exiting owner. This example points out the value of including tag-along rights in a shareholder's agreement to provide protections to minority owners. Due diligence. Before bringing on an outside investor, the owners will want to ask a number of questions. Who is the investor, and what is the investor's stated purpose for making this investment in the business? Has he or she made similar investments in other family businesses? Who will make decisions on behalf of the new owner? This question is particularly important when the investor is an entity rather than an individual. What are the proposed terms of the purchase? And what rights has the purchaser negotiated? Board seats? Information? Preference rights? How is the investor identified? 
Is this investor known to the owners and or the members of the board? If an investment banking firm has brought forth this opportunity, what are the terms of the deal between the business and the firm, and are there any apparent conflicts of interest? Does the investor expect an exit within a certain time period? Restructuring the owner's council to accommodate a non-family owner. Once the ink has dried on the stock purchase agreement, the family owners will want to consider how the owner's council should be restructured to accommodate the new outside owner. For an owner's council focused primarily on growing and sustaining the core capital in the business, the council may want to invite the outside owner to participate, at least some of the time, to build alignment. If, however, the owner's council has traditionally been more focused on a wider view of core capital, and particularly on developing human capital or deploying core capital in other enterprises, it may make more sense to reconceive the owner's council as two sub-councils, a family-only forum that will focus on shared purpose and the vision for the future of the family's core capital, and a more business-focused forum made up of all of the owners that will deal with the ownership questions and issues around capital structure, ownership succession, and business strategy and performance. Either way, the family owners will want to make an effort to understand the investor's viewpoint and objectives and, in turn, expose the investor to the family's thinking around shared purpose, vision, and core capital. However it's restructured, an owner's council that comes to include an outside investor will have a new dynamic. Family owners who participate with an open mind may find that their understanding of the business and possible options for generating and measuring returns on capital will expand and become more nuanced. They may also find that the outside investor's involvement gives them new perspectives on strongly held beliefs around business strategy and finance. Chapter 19, Epilogue. Owen Family, October 4, 2014. Allie Owen. The Owen Family Assembly hosted a dinner this evening to celebrate Charlie and Owen products. I miss Charlie. We all do but we continue forward as a family. Such a lovely evening. The family assembly held the dinner in the old plant, the same place where Charlie's parents hosted a party to celebrate the company's 20th anniversary back in 1968. I remember attending that party as Charlie's new fiancé, fresh from the West. It was my first exposure to the company's eastern plant, its first factory. Now here we are, 66 years after John Owen founded the company. Just as in 1968, there were beautiful floral arrangements at each table showing off Owen Products terracotta pots. On the tables were electronic tablets showing a series of images from Owen Products archives. Something old, but also something new. There were pictures of CommuSynth's new commercial lab and the solar-powered devices that can now be made on a commercial basis thanks to the catalysts they create. Christopher officially launched the company this spring in part thanks to a $2 million investment by Owen Products. It all comes full circle. The board attended the dinner. They have developed a much stronger partnership with the owners and management than when Charlie was living. Then the board mostly rubber-stamped his requests. There's a real management team now, too. Martha's husband, Ryan, who now heads operations for the Western Division, has developed an entirely new level of confidence and by all accounts has done an excellent job. 
Mike had some trouble getting the Eastern Division team into place, but perseverance paid off, and Mike tells me that the team seems cohesive and effective as well. Martha is thriving as head of the owner's council, and Amanda brings her sharp legal mind to the board. And Christopher! Charlie worried all the time about our quiet youngest child. Now here he is building his own business, focused on such a high-tech application, yet drawing on the experience, the kids would call it enterprise capital, that John Owen and David Smith began building back in 1948. The thing that struck me the most about the evening was how proud Charlie would be of his children's leadership of Owen Products Limited. They haven't done things the way he would have done them. He would have looked at them like they were crazy if they had tried to explain it all to him. The whole idea of an owner's council and thinking about ownership as being about core capital, not just about the financial return from the shares. Spending time working to articulate their shared purpose and vision, why it is they want to be involved in this business together, rather than just assuming that the business should remain at the center of our lives no matter what, and leaping straight to business strategy or tactics. Working with the board and encouraging Mike to develop a new way of running the company that didn't involve one person sacrificing just about everything for the business. Being brave enough to ask tough questions, but making sure they were asking them of the right people at the right time. Developing a strategy and plan to maintain and strengthen Owen products while also building a war chest for new investments. And sticking to their statement of shared purpose and vision and insisting that the board and management do the same. Building the family assembly and creating a place where the entire family can talk about the business, the core capital, and our roles. Has it been easy for them? No. In particular, the months when they were trying to figure out whether to redeem out Alfred's trust and whether Christopher would ask to have his shares redeemed as well were very hard on them. And learning to deal with each other in different capacities, Mike as CEO, Amanda as director, Martha as head of the owner's council, and Christopher as an entrepreneur seeking funding, this took patience and quite a lot of goodwill on everyone's part. I think if Charlie had known he was going to die early, he might have seriously considered selling the business. He was worried that Mike didn't have the experience or aptitude to follow in his footsteps. His advisors told him that the children would fight or spend all the money and that he should prune the tree. And I might have supported that plan because I was worried too. The statistics about family business continuity are so grim. But now, with all four kids involved in different ways, I see that we were underestimating them. We were also missing the point. The business and our financial, human, and enterprise capital belong to all of us together. Together we stand a better chance of building on what we have. They understand that there is more at stake than money, and their engagement promises to carry us forward together. This has been the Engaged Ownership Audiobook. I'm Amelia Rankert-Thomas. Thanks for listening.